Mini Episode 1349 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to mini-episode 1349 of the FDH Lounge. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris. And I have back on with us here our golf editor, Mr. Flatstick Tom Deck. It's been a while since we've had him on the show, uh, certainly too long, and uh, glad to get to rectify that today. The occasion is Phil Mickelson coming the oldest ever to win a major PGA championship uh, down in South Carolina this past Sunday. And uh, what a thrilling, happy Gilmore-esque scene it was on the 18th hole when we got to see that play out. And uh, true history all the way around. Uh, Phil Mickelson, I can even say, with with our FDH draft board here, because of course uh, Tom and I are competitors in our uh, golf league this year, our Fantasy uh, Experts Golf League. And I think we are second and third place uh, as we speak right now. Phil Mickelson was undrafted this year in our league. That goes to show you the esteem that he had been held in at this point after a couple of disappointing seasons. But uh, he rallies. He hangs on to win the big one. And uh, who better to turn to for reaction than our own Tom Denk. Tom, thanks for being on today, buddy. Good to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure, Ricky. Yeah, I remember during the draft, I was sitting there. I was waiting to see which which guy would just throw down a late round pick on Phil, and it, it never happened. I got to admit, I was a little shocked and a little sad, but I understood. But he he proved everybody wrong. It was great. He did. He made history. And uh, again, in reviewing uh, the numbers from this past weekend here, of course, he was close on the board after Thursday. Made his move on Friday. Five birdies over the last nine holes to take the uh, lead after 36. And uh, to become the sixth player to hold the lead in a major championship in four different decades. And uh, it was just a matter of holding on from there. Uh, On Saturday, uh, somewhat of a tougher back nine, but he held on. And then on Sunday, uh, going through uh, an entire range of events, basically, uh, he had, there were some times where it looked like Kepko was maybe going to catch him earlier on on the back nine. And then Phil looked like he was pulling away and tightened up again. So, a real roller coaster, uh, but in the end, uh, the instincts of a champion uh, are enough there to get him a uh, major number six. Yeah, what I liked was that that on like you said after Friday he had the lead, and then he had to sit there. You know, the later tee times, last final groups, Saturday, Sunday. Now for him, a guy like Mickelson, he you know he likes having all that all that pressure, all that conundrum around him going on. So. A lot of the, you know, sometimes when you see someone come and win where they haven't in a while, it's, uh, they got hit hot really late Saturday and then they only had to play maybe one round, um, you know, in the heat of the, the final groupings. Whereas he, you know, he did it all, uh, you know, he finished off Friday, then Saturday, Sunday. Uh, very similar, uh, I believe when Tom Watson almost won when he lost to Stuart Sink, 
believe Tom was leading after day one, and he led. You know, he basically had a share of the lead until he lost it in the uh, playoff. So for Phil to hang on was, was was definitely quite an accomplishment. Now, one thing with the older players, uh, they do love the late afternoon tea times because it gives them a chance to, to do really a full stretching program, get these guys limbered up. Um, a lot of the older guys, they're not a big fan of the, the real early times, even though you know the greens are fresh and the crowds are minor. Uh, the guys that have been on tour a lot, they do like those later times for that reason. Um, so... It was crazy. There was so much going on with him, um, and a lot of a lot of little details um, all up in the air. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Tom Watson in '09 because that's one of those things where, uh, and I, I think again, this is just my uh, capacity for being a salty person that uh, I've never forgiven Stuart Sink for robbing us of that moment because it would have been really, really badass to see Tom Watson uh, take the British Open back in 09 and it didn't happen and uh, again that's the one near miss I think that we all remember we remember of course the successful times of somebody later in their career getting it done Tiger Woods didn't end up breaking any records winning one at his age with the Masters in 2019 but it was very very memorable nonetheless obviously for me I had him on my fantasy golf team that year so I was loving that and then of course Nicholas in 86 at the Masters, and as I was telling you off-air, kind of ironic that uh, I happened to be at the same place and to glimpse uh, Jack Nicholas this past weekend down in the Atlanta area. We were both down there for the same occasion, and uh, so I know he was probably in the Atlanta area on Sunday night when he cut that congratulatory uh, Twitter video for uh, Mickelson, but uh, yeah, this is, this is one that we're going to remember uh, like I said, Watson's the outlier because it's the near miss that we remember, but it tends to be, you know, that was Nicholas's signature moment later in his career. Tiger's already had what looks like it'll probably be his only one with the way that his leg got mangled in this car accident this year. Time will tell. And for Mickelson, again, we'll have to see if he can do a follow-up to this one. Uh, but, but certainly this is, when you look at the back nine, if you will, of Phil's career, certainly his signature moment. Yeah, now, so just kind of putting them all on the line here. Now, Nicholas, 46, mm-hmm. um, when he was 46 and one in 86, he, Paul Azinger had a good line that said, when he was 46, everybody still wanted to have hit it like Jack. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was really struggling with the putter. He was trying these new McGregor putters every other month. He, he, Jack really did some bad things to his career with, the merchandise he chose because he really tried to push the McGregor line and played some uh, argue, arguably very inferior putters uh, with it. Uh, uh-huh. But I mean, he was still striping. Um, he just couldn't really get it done with the putters. He, fortunately, his company redesigned um, a few of the old Augusta greens and took some of the severe slopes out. So that winter, he actually had done quite a bit of practicing on some of the Augusta greens um, as they redid them. So, but that was an amazing win. And obviously, it held up as the oldest. Then you go over to Watson. Um, his his was to me. He was fifty eight, and I mean that's like, I mean I can't even get over that one. To me, that's that to me is the greatest all time runner up finish uh, I've ever seen. Agree. Um, I mean, is just insane. Um, and then people forget Greg Norman came back that next year. Yes. He was dating Chris Everett. Chris Chris Everett. For uh, a while, his golf, uh, kind of golf production was down. 
Um, there weren't being a lot of courses made, so he kind of just said, you know what, I'm going to get back out and play a little bit. And he came out there until he fell apart with about, I think, on the back nine. Right. So they were there, but he was, I, I think he was 52 or 53 at the time. He yeah. Had a, he had a good look at it. Um, and the way he had played uh, that week, uh, you, I mean, there was no, there was, that was not a fluke run. He was really striking the ball well. Right. Um, and then that kind of gets us over to now uh, with Phil. Now, Phil had won. Remember, he had won. Oh, after the British Open, then he had a little bit, but then he won that uh, tournament at Pebble Beach. And I kind of thought that, you know, that was going to be the last one. He was playing good, but uh, quite often you see some of these elite players. Their last win is usually a pretty elite course. Um, you know, kind of just it's that little exclamation mark. And I thought, oh, you know what, that wouldn't be the end of the world uh, if if that was his last win. Um, I think he actually may have gotten hot in one win in Phoenix, but, you know, he really kind of, okay, after that British Open, there really wasn't a lot left. Uh, he had really nothing to prove. I mean, he'd already gotten to six majors. The list of guys with three majors uh, is really, really minor. I mean, and he, oh, he, he'll have the asterisk for, you know, messing up the, the U.S. Open uh, where he tripled the final hole. So, yeah, just for being, you know, that age and still kind of getting after it. I heard this week on the radio that he had finished two weeks before the PGA. He played a senior tour event mm -hmm. and finished 20th. Okay. And he said he was still playing good at the time. Yeah. So to think that one, you know, he's kind of dabbling on both tours, uh, which actually is good for him. It limits the travel uh, because it, you know, he, you know, his arthritic condition, even though he's taking pills, it, those are still some serious medications that, right. You know, the, you're not going hard at the gym and stuff the way, you know, these younger guys do. Right. Uh, but then, too, um, I'm kind of amazed, you know, think about it, that, that there's 20 guys week in and week out that could just say, you know what, uh, take that Mickelson. So it's go. I, the joke was that these guys always say they're, they're prepping for the senior tour. And the, those guys, although old, are still extremely sick with their games. It, it's, it's pretty funny, though, that, you know, you would think that a guy that just won the PGA would have no problem, like, dusting off the, the senior tour week in and week out, when in fact, you know, still grinding for top 20s on the senior tour. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's the same thing with uh, the PBA. Uh, once the guys turn 50 uh, there, the, the tour, uh, the competition is much uh, harder. I mean, you go out on the PBA tour post-50, and you're competing with Pete Weber, among other guys. So, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, the depth out there, really, on both tours post-50, uh, I think is much better than it used to be. And it's interesting to me, as I look at this in a historical context and in, in a historical context of talking about things with you, there was a segment we did many years ago on the show where we were looking at, this was kind of early on, I think, in the, the post-Tiger Woods generation, the guys coming up in his wake and looking at them there and, and, and all the rosy things we were forecasting, the potential Tiger-esque careers for... Uh, McElroy and Spieth, uh, among others, uh, Matsuyama, who uh, actually, I mean, just getting his first uh, Masters uh, win this year, his first major, so you, you count him uh, among them, but these guys who, and, and subsequent to that, uh, you have uh, Justin Thomas coming along, and uh, a couple of these guys, Kepka's got a couple of majors, and it's a thing now where 
I just found myself struck in looking at this here uh, this weekend, seeing Mickelson get to six, that six seems to be sort of a nice cutoff point here. Once you've made it to that point, you really sort of separate out from the guys that you can count the majors on one hand. And it's a thing where uh, I, I think it would be more accurate, I think, to start comparing some of the career trajectories of some of these guys, uh, maybe more so to Mickelson rather than Tiger, and whether that's because there's more of them and there's more competition amongst each other than, than Tiger ever had, I don't know. I mean, Tiger always had Mickelson. He had Els for part of it. He had some guys in there, VJ Singh for part of it. These guys all have each other. You have a guy who's always been a big favorite of mine, Jason Day. I never would have believed he would have only had one major, and he's got just the PGA from 2015. So I look at this now, and, you know, all these guys that we were wondering, uh, you know, are any of them going to become uh, the next Tiger? None of them look like that's going to happen, but there's any number of them, especially if you look at the six majors, there's any number of them that really have a chance to be the next Phil, and I think that's not damning with faint praise. No, well... Now, correct me, Phil's at seven now, right? I thought he was at six. Is he? Is he at? No, no, no. I no. I think he's at seven now. He's at which, seven. Which, okay. Yeah, which puts him at. Well, even more so now. Okay. Yeah, it gets him away from like. Yeah, no, because it gets him to the top twelve in ties. Or there's either thirteen or twelve guys that have gotten seven. Okay. Now he, here's here's you're saying about the next Mickelson. Yeah. Let's talk about you know why guys kind of. A lot of the, you know your guys ended up at five and four, five and six. You know, getting to three used to be you know a ridiculous accomplishment. Um, back then, you know the guys they, they played the tour and it took a while to learn some of the courses and kind of get used to the tour life, the grind. Um, and, and let's face it, uh, some of these guys that they were nowhere near the condition of athletes. Right. Um, I mean, going against a guy like Fred Funk versus going against a guy like Justin Rose. Right. I mean, night and day, these guys have done, some of them have done college playing. These guys have also been competing in these World Junior Tours, um, like the events in San Diego, Augusta. I mean, some of these junior events and then some of these college events, I mean, there's 10 or 20 future pros in, in some of them. Yeah. So I think that mentally, uh, they the stakes are raised in the junior golf world. Two... They're better athletes because golf's a little cooler now, um, and you're getting more athletes attracted to it, um, which is quite obvious on tour. And then three, the strength and conditioning is way better. Um, guys are so obviously you're seeing bigger ball speeds, etc. Now, what you're going to see, in my opinion, is not necessarily Phil's. I mean, he's going to be a historical outlier. I mean, you could tell me modern golf in the last 30, 40 years, obviously without Phil. What I think you're going to find is a lot of guys with more of a Seti Ballesteros career arc. Now, people forget, Ballesteros exploded onto the scene, I believe, when he was 19. So right. Like, um, I think he did a top five in the British Open, and people kind of fell in love with him over in Europe for his little style. His you know, guy, he was always making recovery shots that people couldn't believe. And then he got immediately on the Ryder Cup team and used that. He did win five majors, though. Yeah. I think he did that all before either age 25 or 27. Um, 86 um, was his last really good look, I think, on the, on the United States tournaments. I think he had one more. Um, but he had five in a short amount of time. Right. Um, and then, you know, he just 
like hockey league is couldn't make every putt and chip every all place. I think that you know the competition started to improve, um, especially back when you know some of your elite Europeans had moved over to America, kind of raised the caliber of world golf. But Biasquero's got five, then he was done, and then he hung around for a while. But people forget that he ripped off five pretty quickly. Right. Who does that remind you? Rory McIlroy, you know, Justin Thomas, Kepka. I think Sweet. those guys, yeah. because of how much they're putting mileage on their, their bodies, I, I kind of think you only get so many swings before it starts, the back starts to break down, no matter how much and good you take care of yourselves. I think these guys are putting on some bulk. I, I just think that Phil has always been kind of a little curious outlier because he's had that long swing, but it's always been smooth, you know. Yeah. It's always been very fluid um, where you take a guy like Jason Day. There's a lot of torque on that. I mean, it just hurts your back looking at it. Right. Rory, now he's getting older. He's not that flexible team anymore. Now, he's still playing really well. I mean, I mean, he's been stuck on four for quite some time, but I still think he's got a couple. Um, you know, you saw Spieth go, I mean, where did he end up in the top world rankings? I mean, Phil had dropped to 115. Yeah. Did Spieth even get, I mean, he had to be around there. But, I mean, that was in the peak of his career. Phil, he was in the top 50 there for, like, 20 years. Never dropped out of the top 50, like, 23 years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Steve has already had one run where he, you know, completely fell off the face of the earth. So I think you're going to see a lot more guys come on the scene, completely prepared to play the modern game, completely mentally prepared. They know the courses. They've already been sharpened up on the competition, and they're a little more fearless. I mean, this this group—they're all shooting for pins the way Tiger did. Um, they're not. The game is the pro game is almost built a little bit more for your complete sharks, guys that are just complete animals and want to go out there and make a lot of birdies. So you're going to see, I in my opinion, I think it'll be quite common to see guys rip off three, four, five, get get there, and then. They're going to cool off. And then whether they can get back into form and get to five, six, seven, eight, that's going to be another story. There's only going to be so many of them. It, 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 the, the pool of talent is only getting bigger. Um, the stress of winning is only becoming harder, which means guys are going to push their bodies further and further. So so I think it's just going to be a lot of more quick ascension, and then we'll see. Um, let's take Kepka. I mean, he's won four. I mean, he's not a golf enthusiast. He's a self-admitted. You know, right. It's a career for him. Not that, not that said, he's very disciplined. Then maybe that's the way you need to do it, where he's not going to burn out. Um, you can easily see a guy like Spieth or Thomas, you know, go to the burnout. Those guys were not huge. Neither was McElroy. You know, those are guys that have put on the bulk. You know, when no offense, the old guys that used to play a long time were were wiry. Right. So. You know, Davis Love held up quite a long time because he was wiry and never really did the bulk up. Um, now, mind you, he was 6'2", 6'3". Um, right, he had leverage. Had, you know, the swing. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't know that we're going to see a lot of guys still get to 6, 7, and 8. Uh, you know, I think my, theory, my, my, my guess is that more guys get to 4 quickly and then uh, they're going to get mud in the tires and they're going to spin for a while. Um, the odds are, though, that if you get enough guys to three, four, five, one or two of them is going to break through. Every generation has a couple guys. Yeah. So it'll just be who it is. You know, DeChambeau seems more of the golf nerd that I, I think he's maybe better, better equipped between the years. 
and you also have a maniac like Patrick Reed, who his A game still is up there, and he's always proven that he can do it for four rounds. So uh, it's nice to see these guys are workout fanatics, but Phil had a fluid swing, and basically, you know, he did karate, he did a lot of core stuff. Even when he was a little flabby, he was still doing stuff like throwing baseballs and weird stuff. Um, he was kind of a, not cut out of stone, but he was still doing things to keep his athleticism. And I hate to say that these guys are doing the wrong thing by, like, you know, you see Justin Spieth in the gym doing that thing with the ropes where he throws a rope up and down like he's in a Gatorade commercial. I'm, I'm sure that gets his mean strength. Is that going to allow you to play and win majors at 50? Probably not. That said, that's clearly not their goal, nor should it be. Yeah, clearly I think that's the case. And, uh, yeah, when you look at these guys, and, again, I think that's the separator for the guys that get the six and seven majors and get to that next level because Mickelson, you look at the the distance career-wise between the 2021 PGA Championship and whenever his first one was back in the early 2000s. The guys at that level, Watson and uh, Gary Player, I'm not even talking the big, big guys, the Mount Rushmore guys, but just those three in particular, you, you get to that point by winning those over a long period of time. The guys who are stuck at like three or four right now, uh, they were in relatively quick periods of time. So we're seeing these guys where, you know, they'll rotate going through periods of dominance and it sort of kind of trades off between them. Uh, and then you know, somebody we didn't even really talk much about is uh, Dustin Johnson, and that's another guy. I know uh, Bob Glassman in our uh, golf league, FDH Lounge Dignitary, Bob Glassman, uh, complaining about uh, DJ not holding up this year. And I said, it's the, it's the curse of, of the number one pick. I said, I had Kepka last year, and he was broken down the whole year. I said, that's what happens. But you get these guys who, you know, because of the workouts or, you know, like you said, maybe the torque and violence of the swings, kind of tend to get themselves screwed up. And in the case of DeChambeau, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You were saying something about uh, his ears. Is it just me, or are they getting a little further apart Barry Bonds style when I look at him? Just saying. <laughs> well, it was funny. I saw a great uh, meme on the Internet, and it was like the, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Carl Weathers hand pick, and it was like, People siding with uh, Kepka, people siding with De- DeChambeau, and then <laughs> and hating Patrick Reed as the, as, as the commonality. Now, that said, I've always, as you know, I've always been a big uh, Reed defender here. Yes. Um, but it's kind of funny. Those two guys, um, it, it's so weird. It's so beneath them that they, they are in this little little bit. Uh, Kepka, well, you got to say this. Kepka, he, I know he finished second. He really had the opportunity to take that one. I mean, sure. he's playing a you know a fifty year old guy. He, the first hole, they do a two shot swing, birdie bogey. Yeah, and Kepka's in the lead, and then he gives it right back. I think uh, Kepka hit a, a double on uh, two, if I'm correct. Yeah, that used to be Phil's game. Phil played that whole week. I don't think he had any doubles. Um, and Phil, Phil's big number has never really been the issue. Has ever been the birdies. It's keeping the big numbers off of the card, right? Um, and uh, there's a thing they should. I have, a, I have a running joke with one of my friends, and I say every year, like somebody would make a uh, like a triple bogey on like Saturday of the Masters, and they flash up a graphic like no player has won with a triple bogey on their card since Craig Stadler in 1981 or something like that. They show it every year. But it's true; these guys just you don't win majors with triples on your card, and doubles is even. 
like extremely rare. Yeah. So um, it's like for a long time, uh, there were no three putts. I think there was like a 10 year string where there was no three putts on a Masters winner. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and Phil had just been prone to the big number. Yeah. So for him to do the, avoid the big number um, and kept on making the big number on Sunday, it was just amazing. Like, if the, Kiowa, you know, you needed to hit this ball straight or on, at least under control on a, on a string, and there's plenty of places to make a big number. This right. wasn't, you know, uh, Kapalua, you know, with 50-yard fairways. This is, you know, a somewhat tighter course. And as you know, playing in the wind, once you miss hit it, um, it goes crazy. Um, and kind of getting back to Watson, uh, you know, he was hitting it on a string for, for 72 holes. So it wasn't, it was just dominant golf. It was just so amazing that he never, it never got loose um, over any of that time when, you know, it wouldn't have taken much to get off the, the rails there at uh, Kiowa. Yeah, and it was uh, really interesting. And even Phil hit a couple, you know, into the crowd on Sunday. And, you know, there were some ones that kind of got away, but nothing ever really ended up burying him that much. He was hitting good recovery shots. And, uh, you know, as far as, you know, uh, Kepka and DeChambeau and and, and that whole kind of a thing there, I I did see a kind of cynical thing today of where I guess the PGA – uh, is they're going to be paying out bonuses to players based on popularity uh, rankings, which is actually not a, a bad thing for a sport to do because those are the guys that could kind of bring in the money, Tiger style. And uh, at a case now where the way we're talking about this, it, it does seem like you know, you, you've got more or less a group of about 10 great players where there's going to be a certain level of parity. There's going to be a very good chance that one of those approximately 10 guys is going to win any of these majors. Of course, somebody else can sneak in, like old man Phil this time, uh, or, or arguably Matsuyama at the Masters, because I don't think I would have put him on that level anyways, because he'd never won a major, but now he has. But in order to be able to stand out, right, nobody's going to be the next Tiger. Is anybody even going to be the next Phil as far as, recognition to the general public and everything like that. In a very, very cynical sense, uh, pro wrestling style here, Kepka and DeChambeau are uh, elevating their profiles uh, with the lowest common denominator as far as their feud. Yeah, yeah. It's um, Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon. They're one of the great all-time rivalries. I'm not a huge motorsports guy. Me neither. But I, I, I kind of, I know I, I fall in love with the anti-heroes as the Patrick mentioned goes. <laughs> But um, I always like Jeff Gordon because I, I once I read something about him and how he was just kind of like this, uh, you know, he was kind of like a like a, a phenom and a prodigy. And I kind of just was like, oh, this guy's cool. And then when I lived in California, um, I was like, I kind of was like, okay, I'm gonna root for the California guy here. And of course, you know, like that was not popular with you know the, the Southeast NASCAR roots. Sure. So, but him and Dale Jr. They knew they were actually terrific friends, but you would have never gotten that out of, out of either of their mouths. They knew that having the, the dark night and the white night sold tickets, sold money, sold. It was no, it was no fluke that those two guys had almost all of their promotional deals <laughs> with the same companies. Yeah. Uh, they knew that, you know, it's very simple. You know, Rick, we're both writers, and yep. there's one of the great staples for writing that says, your hero can only be as good as your, you know, your protagonist is bad. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, 
Tiger is that is the anomaly, but you know it's exciting when you have Tiger and Phil. So like when Phil wins six majors and is more popular, arguably among the hardcore golf crowd than Tiger, mm-hmm. that that makes it more exciting when Tiger gets gets his game back going, or it makes it more interesting when Tiger's not there and Phil it, it it stirs the pot. So we'll see where this goes with uh, Kepka and Shambo. Kepka's a weird case. Um, because he should be like the golf hero. Um, I believe he went to Clemson, and there was these stories that um, he would just he'd get them to leave the, the range lights on, and uh, he liked it because it was hot. He would like to work out at night, and he would get him just to leave the range lights on, and he could be out there alone for hours and hours. So he was, you know, really more in that self-made mode. He always knew he wanted to be a pro golfer. You know, dug it out of the dirt the old-fashioned way and got there. He should be um, more popular, but then he also comes out with, you know, I'm not a huge golf historian. I'm not a nerd about golf. It's just a thing I do. That makes it hard for, you know, you're never going to get that sort of, like that that crowd phenomenon that right. Tiger or, or Tiger has and Phil have that people want to be a part of that win. I mean, look at that. By the way, it was classic, the scene at 18 and how it got away from him. What's funny is... Kiowa Island um, on that. I know you mentioned this in the, the, the intro. Kiowa Island is a lot like Whistling Straits. Yeah. And that was, that was um, made if initially just as a crazy tough course. You know, they're on the ocean. There were some ideas that they could get, you know, some events there. But it's it's not very, it's not made for to, like watching in the crowd. It's not that kind of a course. Like Whistling Straits, I once heard described as a broken ankle waiting to happen. And <laughs> Kiowa is a lot like that. Um, so what, what I was chuckling about were people that were dodging these little waste areas uh, all week, dodging these little inclines and these little hills in the fescue where they didn't know where the heck they were walking. Uh, they finally got a chance to walk on a flat surface, and they were like, okay, this is more like it. And they all they all went crazy. Yeah. The British Open has done that for. Ever they just you know you get out you get about sixty cops you put them all in black you give them a baton and a big hat and, and people if I in this day and age obviously you know we, we we have to be you know take everything with a grain of salt you know I'm not advocating any sort of uh, you know neo police state here but you know you got to have some sort of control right um, I mean I don't know if you if you if anyone has this on TiVo go watch after Phil hits his iron shot. On each team, he's that nine iron, <laughs> and some guy does like a double, a double hand slap on the back. Right, and the the guy is just immediately wiped out of the screen. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> has to yank him to the ground. It's <laughs> it's tough to watch because you want to watch Phil, but if you do go back and watch it, this guy he just got completely pounced. Um, and of course, you know, of course, they're not going to show that, but that would be yeah. It would almost be great to see the greatest hits of these guys getting, these fans getting too close. It was just, just hilarious because um, obviously they weren't prepared for it, but it was the fans saying, hey, listen, this course is not is not made for a tour event. Um, it's, a, it's a worthy course, but it's yeah. definitely not made for spectating. If, if For the listeners out there, if you're going to go to an event, be very careful going to Kiowa. Also, the traffic is a complete disaster. You have to get a long bus ride in. Um, and the buses are inconsistent. Uh, Whistling Strait, it's a beautiful venue, but again, also 
tape your ankles before you go so you don't, you know, break, yeah. break your ankle. And I, I know that I unreservedly love whistling straight a lot more than you do, uh, and I'm looking forward to watching, uh, of course, the, the – uh, uh, the Ryder Cup there this year, and uh, that is, it was supposed to be last fall, but it was put off because of the pandemic, so looking forward to seeing that uh, play out there, and uh, again, uh, and very, very interesting next several months in golf coming up here, including, and this is something that we count uh, in our fantasy league, as we urge all of you to do as well, if you're playing fantasy golf leagues, is to count the Olympics as a fifth major, but uh, right now, don't know if that's going to happen, and uh, could be a Let's just say it'll be an incomplete field, even if it does happen. Similar to 16, when uh, it was the, uh, what was it, the uh, Zika bug or whatever. Nobody wanted to get bit by the mosquitoes, so there was a handful of pros that didn't go to that. It'll be shades of that in Japan, but worse if they do hold it. Well, it'll be funny, too, because um, it'll be interesting. Japan's known for having, like, notoriously tight. The land is obviously less of a supply, so yeah. the courses are—they're like the old colonial course. Yeah, they're—they're—they're they're, they're tight, uh, so it'll be kind of interesting. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of the great Japanese golfers have always had to reconfigure their game because they were always made for the, these accuracy contests. And yeah. then when you come over to America, and the guys are just bombing it and gouging it, it's two different forms of golf. So it'll be—I'll watch it. Let's let's face it. I'm I'm still going to watch it if it's on. But, you know, it was funny. Justin Rose was maybe arguably one of the great people to win the first Olympic gold medal because uh, he took a lot of pride in it and was, like, a really good ambassador about it. So, um, you know, I'm not going to hate on the Olympic event. One thing I'll say is the PGA moving up to May, mm-hmm. it's kind of grown on me. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't like that it was taking – you're taking some of the good – you're really getting dicey when you're taking some of the Midwestern classic courses out of your rotation. Like, I'm not sure. Can you play in Chicago? Can you play in Detroit? Can you play in uh, Northeast Ohio? Can you play, uh, you know, you know, I don't think you're really playing. I mean, I guess you could try to play Whistling Straits in, in late May. It's not, it's not going to be like playing the PGA in, you know, uh, late July. So, but... A kind like that gap from moving the the players championship up then having the masters now the pga then we're gonna you know segue over to the u.s open if i kind of like the momentum i do I too like not having this too much so you know I've, I've never been a big players championship as the fifth major i don't care how much nbc pays people to say that stop you know so for me that was never really the uh I'm not going to get into that, but just cleaning up this May schedule. Um, I'm not a fan of everything the PGA Tour does with their scheduling, but I think this was, I think we're going to like it. Yeah. Um, what we're going to see, though, I think you're also going to see some more. People are just going to have to accept that the rotation is going to change, the courses are going to change. What that could mean is you could get some. Um, what they should be doing is having some regular tour events bounce around, I think, to some of these classic courses that are being looked over. I don't know how much you're going to have at Oak Hill and Oakmont and you know, Firestone. I think you could almost have like a rotating tournament, kind of the way New York bounces the tournaments around uh, some of the New York courses. I think the New York one bounces between that one by the Statue of Liberty, um, Westchester, and another course. Um, and Tiger Woods has kind of bounced that. Well, I don't, I don't think he's in charge of it anymore, but they had the D.C. tournament. It bounced around a few courses. 
I think you could probably be in some of these classic Midwestern courses. So I don't think they're going to be getting the majors the way they used to. Um, if I'm correct here, uh, the PGA has kind of taken Beth Page Black and Whistling Straits. They're not really – a lot of these courses, they get either aligned with either the PGA or the USGA. Right. Um, and both of those two have moved over to the PGA. Um, I, what you're going to see is you get a Ryder Cup, then you get a PGA, then you're, you're, you're going to get some other stuff from the PGA. Um, I think, obviously, their liking got a lot better um, than working with the USGA. Um, so uh, that's been something that's happened. You can kind of, for the hardcore guys, go look and check out what courses the future uh, Ryder Cups and PGAs in America um, have been. They're going to be courses that are going to be getting a major. Um, so it's going to be interesting. That said, you're going to see the USGA move out to California, and which is great because you're going to get that primetime golf. Um, I think I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for the tournament that, um, you know, gets the lights out. I know it's going to be weird, but I think that they're, you're telling me that one week a year, we couldn't, we couldn't have some significant event with lights. I think yeah. it's out there, but, um, I agree. Talking about making, you know, we're talking about things with the, the I, I actually liked the, the PGA tour you mentioned was a social media campaign where they're going to get paid. A lot of that's also engaging with your sponsors. You want to keep the, you know, the people that, you know, you know, you know, want to, you want sponsors have the lights on. That's good. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But also, you know, if you want to keep a young audience and keep your audience growing, you know, you're not going to do it with billboards and TV ads. People are attached to their phones and social media apps. It's, that's fine. Um, you know, that's fine. Um, but you're also telling me, though, if we're trying these things, you know, the future of golf, we couldn't try something. You don't have to play the whole tournament tonight, but you could also have the last six groups go out or something like that. You know, there's got to be one course, one 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 sponsor that's willing to try it. So we'll see. We'll see where the game's going. But I do like the, I like the PGA. Long story short, I like yeah. the PGA and May. Yeah, no, I, I like it, too. And, uh, again, to what you said, I don't make the case that it's the fifth major, but the players might be my favorite tournament just because I go back to uh, playing it, playing that course on my old Sega Genesis. I love sawgrass. I love me some sawgrass, and not just the the cliche of the seventeenth hole, but you know a lot of the water holes, a lot of the the, the par fives where you have a chance to drive it into. And uh, it's uh, harder to do on the video game, suffice it to say, than it is for the modern bulked-up pros to drive it into. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes am a little rough on uh, the Players' Championship, but actually, that Sawgrass is a very good I love it. risk reward. It, uh, it's a good risk-reward course. Yeah. One, one thing that I always talk about when I talk about some of the courses on tour and how they hold up is I like, I like the stretch to be birdie bogey opportunities on the last holes. And right. what you sometimes see with some of these tournaments, like let's take Riviera. Riviera's most exciting holes are like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Right. You get to 16, 17, and 18, and those, it's work the par, par, par. That, I don't think that's where you want golf if you, if you were going to design the classic golf course, like hypothetically. You know, I think you'd want, you know, 18 birdie bogey options, or at least your last three holes Three of your last four should be birdie bogey options. Totes agree. Um, you know when you're when it's just guys grinding in for par. I think that you're just looking at one stroke swings and kind of cutting out some of your drama. 
so, so it'd be nice. Uh, Sawgrass actually, though, has that 16, 17, 18. Even though they're completely flat, those are well-conceived closing holes. Um, I, so the course itself, I, I'm okay with. Um, it's beautiful on TV. I think it's a rite of passage to watch that and some of the other tournaments and see the guys in the, in the sun. Is, is a, keep, I mean, there's a reason those courses. It's a rite of passage for guys in the, the snow states. You watch those tournaments, you're like, oh, man, makes you want to get the sticks out. Go play around. Right. Um, actually, the only thing that really breaks me with the Players' Championship is how they promote the Players' Championship. It's a fine course, though. And actually, uh, there, there's a lot to be learned from their setup, especially on the closing holes. Right. That's true. And, uh, I, again, that's uh, that's the beauty of this thing here with a lot of the different course layouts. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, anything that uh, just lends itself to par, 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 16, uh, 17, and 18, uh, can be really anticlimactic. So yeah, so uh, that's know. what we're going to have to see with the Ryder Cup. Right, whistling straight those last four holes. I think two of them are long cut. I think fifteen and seventeen. They're like two very long par threes that you basically have to cut the ball. Um, either you're going to go into a hillside, you're going to hit the green, or you're going to go in the water. Um, and most guys just say, hey, you know, if they're going to they're going to miss on, they're going to bail out on the, the hillside. Or if, you know, they're not going to go in the water unless it's just a, like a shank. So that said, though, your Ryder Cup, not all the matches come down to 18. Right. Um, I guess the Ryder Cup, it might be a little more palatable um, because, you, you, let's face it, you see a guy put one in the water, that'd be kind of a, that'd kind of be a money shot to see the guy really, it would be, <laughs> be like the guy wiping down in the wide world of sports, you know, and like on the, on the skis. It, you know, I'll, I'll rubberneck at a good car accident. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if it's the European, no offense, guys. Yeah. If it's one of the Euros putting in the green, uh, I think that would be, uh, you know, it would be it would be a memorable image. Not necessarily, you know, as cool as somebody making a, you know, a completely memorable shot. Well, as long but, as it's not that hey, grease ball, Tommy Fleetwood, you love him. <laughs> hey, he was great. For, he's a great fancy value. That's, I never apologize for that. You shouldn't either. <laughs> oh, this is this is so great. Whenever we get a chance to bring our inside league jokes onto the show here, uh, that always adds character to it. But uh, uh, it, it is always a uh, segment with uh, character and uh, a character uh, in particular uh, when we have Mr. Flatstick Tom Deck on. So, uh, Tom. Uh, for the discussion about uh, Phil Mickelson winning here and the present uh, state of the tour and where it's at. Uh, thank you so much for another great one, my friend. Oh, no, thanks. I, I hopefully, if you know the next couple majors live up to this, uh, it'll be a great year for calendar golf. So Absolutely. thanks much, and uh, God bless. Thanks, thanks buddy. Appreciate it. I look forward to revisiting with you uh, here uh, as uh, events materialize. Uh, our friend, uh, Tom Dank, FDH Lounge Golf Editor, Mr. Flatstick. Thank you so much, Tom, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge, mini-episode 1349.